Well, good morning again to you guys, in case you guys came in late. Um, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is a joy. And I mean that. It is a joy to be able to worship alongside of you guys this morning. I, like many of you, celebrated Easter last year on my couch. Not the same. It's not the same. And so I'm thankful to be able to be here. And I believe that we have quite the moment, don't we? Quite the moment in this spot to be able to stand upon the word of God and say that he is risen because of it. That we can look at this and see that this is, this is a big deal for us. It's a big deal for us as a church. Because the tomb is empty. Now, I've never been to Jerusalem. Many of you guys have. You can go and visit Jerusalem, but there's one thing that you cannot do in Jerusalem. You know what that is? It's go visit the body of Jesus because he's not there. He is risen, church, and he's ruling and reigning next to the right hand of God the Father. And so as Justin mentioned earlier, we as a church want to celebrate that. We celebrate that every single Sunday, but especially Easter Sunday, especially Easter Sunday. Because without it, without the resurrection, everything that we would be doing this morning would be in vain. The Bible is even actually clear on that. Without the resurrection, your preaching, pastor, is in vain. You might as well tell people to go home, get started on their brunch earlier. Because without the resurrection, we have no hope. But because of the resurrection, we have all the hope we will ever need in this world. And so if you are maybe just a, a, a visitor checking us out, um, just wanting to know a little bit more who we are as a church, uh, we are Carson Valley Bible Church, obviously, as you guys know. And we have Bible Church in our name for a specific reason. is because we want to stand upon the authority of the Word of God. Is that we want to be Bible people. You know, because there's, there's a lot of good evidence for the resurrection. You know, you could point out how after the resurrection, the early disciples who were very timid, not, not preachers, after the resurrection somehow had the courage to go and preach the gospel, preach the resurrection until every single one of them was killed for it. Or we could talk about how after the resurrection, people started worshiping on Sunday instead of Saturday, pointing to something cataclysmic had happened. We could talk about all the evidence or maybe lack thereof for people that want to say that we have found Jesus' body, that the resurrection is not true. But despite over 2,000 years of history, archaeological digging, no one has ever been able to find the body of Jesus. And there's good reason for that because he's indwelling in it in heaven. So those are all good reasons to believe in the resurrection, but no reason is better than the word of God. All those things are supplement to what this book tells us. And that's why as a church, we like to open it up every single Sunday. As Justin, uh, we call that, and theologians call that expository preaching, where you simply walk through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That we don't like to simply, you know, try to pick out the things that we like or agree with, but want to give you the whole counsel of the word of God. Because if God has written a book, we should try to know every single word of it, shouldn't we? And so over the last year and a half, almost two years, as a church, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And as we've been walking through that verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we started this way back in 2019. 
In God's mercy and his grace, we find ourselves at the resurrection text this Sunday morning. And so that is where we want to go to. And so if you have Bibles, and I hope you do, or maybe you can grab one of those Black Pew Bibles around you, go ahead and open that up to the Gospel of Mark starting in chapter 15, and we'll, we'll pick it up in verse 42. It's also going to be on the screen behind me, page 853, if you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles. And as you're turning there, I want to pray one more time. It's pretty common for me. I mean, I think I've done it every single Sunday since I've been a pastor here, is is I like to pray right before we actually read the word of God. And I pray for you, that, that you would be impacted by the word of God. But I also ask that you would pray for me, because I'm the one who's opening this up and speaking from it. And so I, I don't take that lightly. So I would ask that as I pray for you, will you just please pray for me? So let's do that now. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we're thankful for a Sunday that we can gather under your banner, under your name, under your word, And we are so thankful that we have a living hope in you. God, allow each and every person in this building today to be able to maybe see afresh or maybe for the first time just a significance of you, Jesus, rising from the grave. God, I even pray for all our little kids in our our kids' classrooms that as they go through this resurrection text that that even their little hearts would just be awakened to the truth of your gospel and the good news of it. So Lord, we love you, but we need you desperately. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 15, and I'm gonna be starting in verse 41, reading to 16.8 this morning for us. And just please follow along with me. An evening had come since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Hosea, saw where he was laid. Verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the, where the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us, us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. All right, so in our text this morning, 
In our text, there's three things that I want to point our attention to. Three things that I want to take the next 30 minutes to point you to. But even though it's just going to be the next 30 minutes, I believe that these three things will also impact you the rest of your life. And as those of you who are note takers, here are the three things. The story of the resurrection. The story of the resurrection. Number two, the declaration of the resurrection. And number three, the response of the resurrection. So point number one, go ahead and look at your Bibles with me. Look at verse 42. It says that when evening had come, evening had come, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, he took courage and went to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now at this point, for those of you who haven't been with us, at this point, Jesus had already been crucified. He had been killed. We looked at that on this last Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus. So he had died on the cross. He had breathed his last. And remember that event. That event speaks to the love of God. The cross was the pulpit of God's love. And Joseph of Arimathea, he will, and the reason why Mark includes where he's from is to point out that this was not just any ordinary Joseph. But this was Joseph who was actually part of the high council. Part of the council that actually condemned Jesus to death, even though Joseph did not vote for that. So he had been impacted by Jesus in some way. And he knew that Jesus did not deserve to just simply rot on the cross. And so he went to Pilate and asked him, can I have his body? Can I have his corpse? Can I go bury Jesus? Pilate, it says, was surprised that Jesus had already died. And so he, conf- he had somebody confirm that Jesus was dead. And by doing so, granted the body of Jesus to Joseph. And Joseph took Jesus down and, bought and put him in uh, a tomb, a pre-bought tomb. And the significance of that is, though, Jesus was extremely poor. He had nowhere to lay his head. He had no riches to his name. Joseph of of Arimathea, this tomb in which he had pre-bought for himself likely, he put Jesus in a fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus, although he was poor, he would be buried with the rich, with the rich. And it says in verse 47 that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Hoses, saw where he was laid, where he was laid, which is important for us because it's these same women The same women, because he knew where Jesus was laid. He knew where he was entombed. They went on Sunday morning to go anoint the body of Jesus. We read that in chapter 16, verse 1. They bought spices, right? And they went to go anoint the body of Jesus. Now, the only reason that you would bring spices to a tomb is to do what? Is to anoint a dead body. They believed that Jesus was dead, as should have everybody. They did not expect to find a risen Christ. They went to anoint a dead body. And I think that points out to where many of us find ourselves more often than not. That we live our lives as if Jesus had not risen from the grave. That he was just a mere man that died and was buried. Maybe you didn't go so far as say he was a very religious man or a moral man. But yet, you don't live as if Jesus could actually have risen from the grave. And I pray, that's right. 
And I pray that it may not be so for us this morning, that we would approach the tomb not expecting to find just a dead Jesus, but to be reminded that we have a risen Savior, a risen Savior. And it says, we continue with the story, that as they're getting closer to the tomb, they seem to have this comedic conversation where they forgot that they had no way of actually entering into the tomb, right? This giant stone had been put in its place, and these two women, maybe there was more, are talking to themselves, how are we going to actually get into this place? How are we actually going to get into the tomb? And it says in verse 4 that it ended up not being a problem, because what did they find in verse 4? It says, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Mark even points out it was very large. It's not just a small thing that they could have rolled away, but it was a large stone that them in and of themselves could not roll away. Often a picture of our own need for the gospel. But here's what I want to remind us of. And as one theologian pointed this out in my studies this week, is that the stone was rolled away not so Jesus could escape, Hope you guys know that. It wasn't so Jesus could escape. We learn from the other gospels accounts that Jesus actually, the resurrected Jesus, could walk through walls. So why was, the, why was the stone rolled away? It wasn't to let Jesus out, but it was to let us in, church. It was to let us in so that we could see that he was not there, so that we could enter into his story. We could enter into his resurrection, right? The greatest news that could ever be told that God who substituted himself and died on the cross defeated Satan, sin, and death and the resurrection is that evidence of it. It says that after entering in the tomb, what happened? They encountered a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed as I would be if I were entering into like a dark room, right? And then I see some guy just in all white sitting there. And here, here's what I, this is, this is just speculation on my part. I imagine, and this is an angel, by the way. The other gospels are very clear. This is an angel speaking, sitting in a tomb, basically waiting for these women to walk in saying, Jesus is not here. He is risen. As I imagine this angel sitting there with one of those goofy grins that sometimes I get, when I'm trying to hold back some really, something I'm really excited to start talking about. And so even though they're startled, they're frightened, the angel, he says, do not be alarmed, in verse 6, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. That brings us to point number two. This text is not just about the story, but it's also about the declaration. It's about the declaration that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And here's why that's important, because do you remember, do you remember church? Maybe if you guys have gone to church for a while, maybe you've gone to an East or a Christmas service rather, and you've heard the Christmas story. Who was the first person to announce that Jesus was born? The angel, the angel. And so it's fitting here. We have another angel. We have the heavenly realm again announcing and proclaiming the works of God that Jesus Christ has arisen from the grave. You see, church, it's not just about us. All of creation, even the angelic realm, wants us to know how significant this is. That Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. 
I can't, I can't, I, we do this every year. You know, we talk about the resurrection, but I don't want to simply talk about it or have you guys leave here thinking, yeah, Jesus Christ, he, he rose from the grave, right? He defeated death. And not just remember that he was dead. People that died do not rise again. This is miraculous. This should stop us right where we're at. No matter how we're coming into this building today, it should stop us in our tracks saying, you're telling me you actually believe that someone who was dead is alive now. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Because it's the greatest news that this world will ever hear because of who that person is. Because it's always about him, church. It's always about Jesus. And I believe that's why it says in verse, in verse 7 that when the angel announced that Jesus had risen, he, point, he points their attention to Christ. Right? He doesn't say, hey, he has risen and move past that now. Because he's risen, here are, you know, 10 steps for a new you. Or here's how you can make this the best Easter ever. Now, those things might be beneficial to us. But the angel points our attention to the Christ of Easter. The risen Savior of Easter. Because even though, and, and this is just not just this portion of the Bible that we're looking at, but it's all of the Bible this book is not about us. It's for us. It is for us. That's why we're studying it. That's why he's, he, he's had it written down so we could know what's going on. We could know who Jesus is. But it's not about us. It's about him. It's always been about him. And why is that? Why is, why is the angel so caught up and saying and pointing us to this risen Christ it's because of what the risen Christ actually means then it, what it actually means it means that death if death could not hold him what does that mean for the rest of us because what is death the Bible calls it our great enemy it comes for us all doesn't it I think the last year and a half right we've had a sobriety check on that that death even though it may seem far off we never know. We never know what could be around the corner, right? Another virus, another health scare. No day is ever guaranteed for us. Death is 100% for all of us. But what we see in the resurrection of Christ is that death does not have the last word. Because when Jesus rose from the grave, the Bible says that in Romans 4.25 that he was raised for our justification, which is a fancy word that means that you're made righteous, you're declared innocent. And the significance of that is because how did death come into this world? By sin. Death is the punishment of sin, the due penalty for sin, which we all stand guilty of. That's why every single one of us dies. But when Jesus rose from the grave, he was announcing that he has defeated that power. He has defeated the power of sin and its consequence of death. But why, why are we made justified then? Because on the cross, 
when Jesus was bearing the full wrath and penalty of God's good and just judgment. Because Jesus was not on the cross because of what he did. He was on the cross for what we have done, for our sins. But he took our place for our sins. He absorbed the due penalty for our sins. We should have been up there. But Jesus got on the cross because he wanted to be our substitute. And when Jesus rose from the grave, what it showed us is that payment in which Jesus was on the cross went through. And Sunday morning proves that. That God the Father was fully satisfied in the death and the atonement of Christ. And so if we are in him, if you've believed in him, if you've surrendered to him, if you've trusted him, it means that death does not have the last word. Jesus has the last word because you are in him. But I also want to point out there's some immediacy to what the risen Christ gives us. And so look at your Bibles again. Look at verse 7. The angel says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So the angel tells these women, go. Go tell the disciples the good news. Go tell them that Jesus Christ is risen. And specifically Peter. Make sure Peter knows. And why did, they, why did he call out Peter? Well, because Peter, one, he often needs to be reminded specifically on certain things. But two, is because what was the last thing that Peter did before Jesus' death on the cross? He betrayed him. One of Jesus' closest disciples Right? A part of his inner three. Out of all the 12, he's part of the inner three that walk with Jesus the closest. On the day of his crucifixion, on Jesus' crucifixion, when Peter was asked, hey, do you know Jesus? Are you a part of him? Are you part of his, his group? He denied him. He said, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't know this man. I don't know him. And he denied him three times, which is a fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. Because in that moment, though, Peter had sinned greatly. Or he had taken the road of self-preservation. He had taken the road of, I'm going to care more about me than I care about the creator of all the universe. And it was a direct betrayal of his God, Jesus. And so I believe that the angel wanted Peter to know specifically is because Peter was probably still dwelling in his sin dwelling in the fact that he was capable of betraying those who he loved the most, which I know many of us have probably been there. We have done things, said things that we never thought we would ever do, deeply entrenched in our own shame. But here's what the resurrection is getting at. This is why the angel is getting at this, is the resurrection reminds Peter that shame was killed on the cross with Jesus. And I believe that's important for us all. Because no matter how you find yourself this morning, whether maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and praise God for that, or maybe you've walked with Jesus in the past, but you have found yourself in a season where you've walked away. You have followed your own personal uh, plans, or maybe you've just outright denied Christ like Peter has. Or maybe 
Maybe it's even more vague where you just simply find yourself in a season of life that you never thought that you would be in and you don't even know how to get out of. Well, the message for Peter is the same message for us all. And that's the risen Christ. Because even though when you think that you've gone too far or maybe your circumstances are too much to bear, the heavenly realm says, but remember and know that Jesus has risen from the grave. Remember, it's still always about Jesus. It's for us, but it's about him. And that's good news for all of us. Listen to this from a pastor theologian named John Piper commenting on this section. He says, no matter how devastating our struggles, disappointments, and troubles are, they are only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. Few people seem to realize that the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone to a worldview that provides the perspective to all of this, to all of life. You see what he's saying, church? You see what he's saying? He's saying the resurrection has the answer for us all. That we all need to know that death has been defeated. Because the ultimate consequence for our sin is that. And we all need to know that Jesus can be the only one who can be trusted to putting our whole hope in, our whole life in, because he's never going to disappoint us. Even when we think there's no way that Jesus can rebound from this, right? Friday, Good Friday, was the darkest day in all of human history where truly the most innocent person was killed. But Sunday is a reminder that even with that backdrop, the resurrection of Jesus is the most glorious day in all of the world. So we need to remember that Jesus is the only one who can give ultimate life in this world because he's the only one who holds its keys, church. And lastly, if you look at verse 8, it says that these, these women, they went out and they fled from the tomb. And it says, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. Had seized them. And I, th- I think that's a beautiful way to describe what happens when you come into contact with the truly resurrection, the, the truth of the resurrection. That your soul is, is almost trembling. It's almost shaking is what the original Greek has for that. Like your body is shaking and it's astonished. You're seized by it. You're arrested by it. To where you feel like you could never escape it. And that's the point. Is that the resurrection of Christ changes us. Not just for a little bit, but forever. And I pray, I pray that as we walk out of here today, that we would almost tremble with astonishment because of the resurrection of Christ. Just be changed. Maybe, maybe physically to where you just almost feel like your adrenaline's pumping in that moment, but certainly spiritually when you seem to be walking out of here on air because you know that Christ is risen from the grave. Now, lastly, just a few quick things that I want to point out. One of the reasons why they left trembling and astonished is because of four things in which the resurrection teaches us about Jesus and God. One is that God is faithful. Throughout the whole gospel of Mark, Jesus has been declaring and teaching that he is a savior unlike any other. 
that he is the Messiah who has come to save his people from their sins, even by going to death on the cross. But he told his disciples, and he tells us by extension, that my death will purchase your salvation, but my resurrection will seal it for you, will remind you that nothing can conquer me. Two, we also learn that God is all-powerful because our great enemy, death, who came for us all, has no power and authority over Jesus Christ himself. It's like Paul, the Apostle Paul, in one of his letters to the Corinthian church, he actually even begins, and he's talking about the resurrection, he starts mocking death, like it's, he personifies it. He goes, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? You see, church, death no longer has the upper hand. It no longer has the final say. But the one who conquered death does. Number three, we learn that God is loving because the only reason that Jesus would have ever gotten off his throne, the only reason he had ever gotten off his throne and become a human and lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death for our sins and not his own is what? If it was motivated by love, a love for us, to be able to give us what we could never give ourselves. One of the great and and famous verses in the Bible that teaches us this is, is John 3.16. Many of you guys probably know it or have read it somewhere in your life, but just to put it in context, what he's talking about, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And know how we know that that is true? Because Jesus holds the keys to eternal life by defeating the tomb by defeating death. And lastly, we learn that our eternity, our eternity is now secure in him. Since our eternal state is demonstrated with the resurrection of Jesus, we can now be certain for those who die in him. And what that means, that's a, that's a Bible language, which means if you have gotten to a place where you know that in and of yourself that you could not save yourself, you could not be perfect, but Bible says then turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Turn to the one who's your savior. Turn to the one who died in your place. Turn and trust him. Repent of every way that you've disobeyed him. And turn and trust him, the one who has died and took the penalty for all your past, present, and future sins. Trust him. And when you're in him, it means that when you die in him, it's not the end of the story. It just says when Jesus died physically in, on this earth, it was not the end of the story. Because Jesus is the first fruits of all the resurrection. And so church, I pray that we live in light of the resurrection as we leave here today. And we have to live in light of the resurrection because if we live in light of anything else that's going on in this world, we're going to be deeply stressed out and depressed, won't we? Now, I'm young. You guys know this. You guys, you guys can see this, right? I'm working on the beard. It's not coming in yet, okay? I'm going to be preaching out of the Old Testament here in, a, in about a month, and I've been really uh, praying that God would give me a beard to preach out of the Old Testament from, but I don't, I don't think it's happening. But you guys could join in that. That'd be weird. Actually, you know what? Just, just, just pray for, I'll pray for the beard. You guys pray for other things. That's not my notes, by the way. But even though I'm pretty young, by God's grace, I have a lot of um, relationships with people who are much older than I. 
even individuals who are in their 90s, and I, as I talk to them, and I ask them how they're doing, what are they seeing in the world? They tell me, Luke, right now, the world is probably the worst I've ever seen it. Whether it's the pandemic, whether it's racial strife, political strife, and a number of other issues. They say, I've never seen the world like it is right now. Now, that may be true or not. But certainly we can all agree on that things are not as they should be. Not as we want them to be. And the world has an answer for that, right? For that, that problem. And what is that? Have hope. Have hope. Now, that, that sounds nice, right? But have hope in what? Hope has to be grounded in something. It has to be anchored in something. And so for the world to say to have hope simply falls on no foundation. It's not grounded. There has to be something better. There has to be something better. And there is. There is. Peter, that same disciple in whom the angel told these women to go preach the gospel, preach about the resurrection to, he was forever changed by the resurrection. He even later writes uh, to a, an early church in one of his epistles. He writes this, and starting in verse 3, it should be on the screen behind me. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How great is that? That we have not just hope, not just hope and hope, but we have a living hope, that's what Peter says. A living hope that's anchored in the resurrection, a hope that has risen from the grave, a hope that we can trust, that we can talk to, that we can depend on, a hope that is still moving today. A hope that the resurrection reminds us and tells us that Jesus is making all things new. And he started with himself. He started with rising himself, raising himself from the grave through the power of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage us this morning to walk out of here, not just remembering the resurrection, not just contemplating the miraculousness of it, but also remembering that it points us to a living hope. A living hope. And I pray and I ask you guys to believe and trust in that. Maybe for the first time, but certainly for every single one of us. What a God we worship. What a risen Christ we have. Let's pray.